Okay, good morning. And let me just add my welcome and Happy New Year to Pete's. It's so good to be with you all this morning. Um, For those I've not yet met, my name is Johnny. I'm part of the team here. And I'd love to just dive straight in, really, to a passage that has been, I've been kind of mulling over for quite some time. It's in the book of 2 Kings um, in the Old Testament. If you brought your Bible with you, if you've got your phone, we're going to be in 2 Kings 18 and 19, based there. And um, the King, book of Kings really is a convergence of history and theology. It's like historical narrative with real theological implications for us. And I'd love to just unpack it together, particularly with the view of, with, as Pete's been saying, this new year, the questions it poses and the application that we can make going into a new year with all the, the hopes and faith, expectations, perhaps desperation that we have going into this year. So let's look together at this passage. As a little bit of background, um, I think we can sometimes really try and sanitize um, the book of Kings and the Old Testament in general. But the, the book of Kings, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, is basically like Game of Thrones, just without some of the dragons. It's intense. There's lots going on. And um, this is the reality. And uh, again, as some background, the people of Israel, God's people, basically out of a distrust for God, ask, they see other nations around them having kings. And they basically are, I want some of that. We want a king to look after us and protect us. And that's the way they go. And so we have Saul and David and Solomon and onwards. And it kind of, um, there's like good kings, bad kings. Things go quite well for a time, but generally it goes quite badly. And there's a split into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom in Judah, which is where we're going to be, with a king called Hezekiah, and he's one of the few good kings. And he's like really on a mission to kind of turn things around in Judah, get rid of the idols, get rid of the wrong ways of doing things, turn back to God. And he's really trying to do this. But there's this powerful kingdom called Assyria and they're basically just on a mission to wipe everyone out they're coming through they've gone through Israel already they're kind of on their way to Jerusalem on their way to Judah and Hezekiah they're a violent and powerful force and it looks like basically everything's stacked up against Hezekiah we're in around 700 BC and it's also around the time of the prophet Isaiah so the book of Isaiah um, also has an account of this and so he's involved as well they're moving in with this king called Sennacherib, great name. He's um, this powerful guy, hell-bent on power. And he sends his people to taunt Hezekiah and Hezekiah's people. And that's basically where we pick up the story, where he's going to come, kind of taunt them, um, just basically tease them, abuse them for wanting to trust in God and for wanting to turn their nation around. And he's basically threatening them, giving them lies and things like that, boasting about his own power. And I want to just look briefly at some of the questions that this raises for Hezekiah then, but also for us today, and then some of the ways that we can learn from how Hezekiah responded. So 18, um, chapter 19, 20 is where we're going to start. The field commander said to them, tell Hezekiah, this is what the great king, the king of Assyria says. On what are you basing this confidence of yours? You say you have the counsel and might for war, but you speak only empty words. On whom are you depending that you rebel against me? On what are you basing this confidence of yours? And on whom are you depending? I think that's two questions for us going into this year. I think it comes under the bigger question of, for us, is, is God trustworthy? We've been singing this morning about his faithfulness, about how we can learn to trust in him again, build up confidence in him. And I just want to ask this question today. Do we really trust in God? Is he trustworthy? Hezekiah is being asked this question. Can you really trust God? Like what, what, what backing do you have for this faith of yours? The odds are stacked up against Hezekiah. There's powerful forces are coming, and it does not look good. They're outnumbered and outpowered. 
They're under siege from a growing force. And it may feel like in some ways that's you going into this year. Things are stacked up against you. Like some of the words we've already heard, there's that that fogginess. You need that clarity on what are we basing our confidence. Because scripture tells us again and again and again that God is faithful, that God is trustworthy. And it's the experience of the church going back through the ages as well. I love, one of the things I find most inspiring is reading kind of old accounts of of um, believers, kind of heroes of the faith, as we call them. People like George Muller, Corrie Ten Boom, Brother Andrew, these inspiring stories of people that sold out, put all their trust in God, and as a result, do amazing things. And Hudson Taylor is one of those people for me. I really recommend you read some of his stuff, read his biography. He went in the 19th century as a missionary to China. But before he did that, as a 19-year-old, he, he had this sense of a calling to China. And he... Um, basically wanted to kind of test himself, grow in his faith before he went. And so he moved up to this place with kind of desperate poverty, um, quite near Hull, to work with his uncle, who was a doctor. And he wanted to learn to kind of help to live by faith on not very much. And so he was working in this area, helping um, as, a, as a doctor. And one night, he got in, um, this guy came around his house and begged him to come around to their house because his wife was desperately sick. His children were starving. And so Hudson Taylor kind of went into this into this small room and he was absolutely shocked by the conditions that he saw this dying lady his starving children in total kind of um, dirt and and poverty and he was so moved and then he started trying to tell them basically about a god who loves them a god who provides but as he did that he felt this kind of deep unease and he felt in his pocket this coin and it was the last coin the only money that he had and so he started to kind of, as we do, um, try and kind of explain it away. You know, if only it was broken into small, two smaller amounts, I could give them some. But the more he tried to tell them about God's faithfulness, the more convicted he was. And in the end, he gave this family this coin, the only money he said. He said, this is all the money I have, but there is a father in heaven whom we can trust. And he wrote in his diary as he walked home that his heart felt as light as his pockets. And he ate the last bit of porridge that he had in the world, but he would not have exchanged it for a prince's feast. Now that in itself is a remarkable story. But the next day, he got a letter through the post. And he opened it and it was out, fell out, um, twice the amount of money that he'd just given away the night before. Now, please hear me. I'm not talking about a prosperity gospel. That's not the point of the story. But I am talking about a provision gospel, which I believe in wholeheartedly. And Hudson Taylor and other people lived in such a way that they had to trust in God. They had, God had to come through for them because the way they lived. And I don't know about you, but I want more of that for my own life this year, to live in such a way where we have to trust in God. I had um, a little kind of experience of this on my year out. We went as a team and we were ministering in China and kind of trying to be a bit under the radar and um, so we were staying in this hotel. We would basically meet and pray in the mornings, worship and pray. And then if we felt like God was saying something, we'd try and go and do it that day. And this particular day, we felt like the words we were getting and kind of, um, yeah, the general feeling was that we should go and pray at the high places. So we just didn't really know what to do. So we looked for the highest place in the city that we could find, which was a mountain. We went up there, went to the top of this mountain, had one of those great times of prayer, you know, where you can see everything and you pray for it. And you're, we were feeling pretty pumped up, feeling good about ourselves. And then thought that was it, started to head down the mountain. On the way down, we basically got completely lost, just walking down these paths. And I don't know about you, but my Mandarin wasn't particularly up to scratch then. It still isn't now, if you're wondering. And um, we just got completely lost. And so we're wandering around, unsure about what to do. And then all of a sudden we heard this singing. 
And it wasn't in English, but you know when, you can just tell when it's a Christian song, can't you? You can just tell that it's worship. Um, it's probably the same three chords that we use here. But um, so we heard this singing and we, we kind of went over towards it. And we basically what happened is we bumped into this illegal house church meeting on the side of a mountain. And through broken English and charades and other skills like that that we have, we basically spent some time with these people and we were able to pray for them, encourage them and be encouraged ourselves. And after that, obviously, we, we just found our way absolutely fine and we, we came down to the bottom of the mountain. And it was just almost that little glimpse of an experience of like when we do just step out, out of our comfort zones, entrusting into God, he will lead the way. And I love that story and it's encouragement to me, but I also quite annoyed by that story because it was quite a long time ago. And I don't have that many stories that are recent. And that was a real challenge to me and maybe a challenge to us of actually like, what are, are we getting new stories of, of fully relying on God and seeing his, his faithfulness in our everyday lives? And so is God trustworthy? And even if he is trustworthy, second point, is he worth it? Back to the story, 18, 27 and 35. The commander replied, was it only to your master and you that my master sent me to say these things and not to the people sitting on the wall who, like you, will have to eat their own excrement and drink their own urine? I mean, that is too far, isn't it? That's just, as trust talking goes, it's low and it's actually quite crass. So, um, Then the commander stood and called out in Hebrew, hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you from my hand. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord when he says, the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. This is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me and come out to me. Then each of you will eat fruit from your own vine and fig tree and drink water from your own system until I come and take you to a land like your own, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey. Choose life and not death. Remember, this is not the good guy. It sounds a bit like God speaking, but it's, it's not. It's Sennacherib. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for he is misleading you when he says, the Lord will deliver us. Has the God of any nation delivered his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Who of all the gods of these countries has been able to save this land from me? How then can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hand? So he's basically saying to the people, don't let Hezekiah persuade you in this God of his. Like, Come and have the good life. Like, You can have the food you want. You can have the drink. Just come and settle and all will be good. And how kind of like our lives is that sometimes the enemy will try and get us to back down to settle to take the easy road to to not press in in faith what a challenge for us today I think we've seen it as a church over the last year or so so many opportunities where we could just settle and play it safe but one of the things I love about Pete and B and the team is just their wholehearted courage and think of the challenges we had with buildings and other things that go on these guys are just so committed to the cause they won't settle they're not willing to play it safe and I think that's a, a call for us to kind of follow in that as well I know for, for Liz and I and our family moving into London you know moving into a little flat just nearby it's not always the most comfortable way of living um, and it, it does bring its challenges but again this is such an encouragement encouragement not to play it safe is God trustworthy yes is he worth it yes absolutely we do have challenges I'm not going to deny that Jesus says very clearly that life's going to be hard we're in this now and the not yet stage of the kingdom but we we do need to press in in faith and it won't always be the comfortable option as C.S. Lewis once said if you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable I certainly don't recommend Christianity 
But in the book of Philippians, Paul says this, and he kind of gives it this great summary. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. What a perspective. And this is a guy that's been in prison, had his life totally transformed, shipwrecks the lot. You know, he considers everything that he could have had, everything that is in an earthly sense, garbage compared to the the beauty and the glory and the surpassing wonderfulness that is that he finds in Christ and that word um, garbage in the Greek literally means dung like excrement you know he's speaking so he really wants to get his point across and um, there's no real need for me to put this up here I don't have any particular point but I just thought it'd be quite cool to put the original Greek and an emoji in one slide and um, so there they are together and there ends my second point Um, what will what will others think so we've got is he trustworthy um is he worth it? Then also, what will others think? So as we continue the story, in verse 26, the people are saying to Sennacherib's uh, messengers, please don't speak to your servants in Aramaic. So they've kind of come, and it's, you know when you, you have a friend that has a really loud voice, and he starts talking, you're like, shh, just keep it down a little bit. This isn't quite the right environment. And that's basically what they're saying to these people. Like, don't speak so that all the people, our people can hear you, because it will basically panic them. Please speak to your servants in Aramaic, since we understand it. Don't speak to us in Hebrew, in the hearing of the people on the wall. And I think sometimes we can worry so much about what other people are thinking about our faith. It's like this never-ending hamster wheel of approval, where, like, what do they think? What do they think? And this is a massive thing for me, and I really want to kind of share from the heart here. It's that constantly worrying about people's affirmation or approval or attention or love. And part of that is because it's human nature. We're built for connection. We're built for approval. That's not, there's nothing wrong with that in a sense. A, a good friend of mine has this uh, illustration that he uses like a supermarket. You know when you go to the supermarket, you basically got two options. You can go to the till or you can go to the little machines. And little confession to me, I'm often in a hurry and I often want to choose the option which involves the less human interaction, the less talking. And so I want to go as quickly as I can to the machines. But I don't know about you, but it basically never works out like that for me. There's always, first of all, they tell me not to put it on that side, but that side. I never learn which side it is. And then it's like the bag issue and and then there's something beeps. And then if you want to buy some beer or something, you have to go and get approval. And it basically says needs approval on the screen. And I think that's just like every single one of us. It's like that needs approval. It's where we go to get that approval, which is the the kicker. It's do we get that from our identity in God and who we are, or do we try and get that from others? Does it become a kind of means to an end where the approval has to come from others? It's like this addiction that that I have and we have that provides a momentary high, maybe the kind of like instant dopamine hit that we get from our phones and social media or a compliment or something like that. Or do we get it from God? If you're new, we just finished a series at the end of last year called The War on Desires. And I just really recommend it. If you've not heard all those talks, do go back and listen to them. And a lot of them are related to this. And a couple that Anna shared, one on comfort from the point before and one on status, which is so relevant to this. I really encourage that you do check that out. And one of the kind of antidotes that she shared um, with this stuff is to serve in secrecy. Now, if you're someone that likes approval or is seeking approval doing things in secret basically absolutely sucks it's the worst because you want people to know that you've done something good so that you can get their approval as i say this kind of never-ending hamster wheel but this is really key for us i think in today's world we try and present our good deeds as much as we can and we try and hide our weaknesses 
But I want to suggest this morning that in the kingdom of God, and watch this, you're going to enjoy this. We need to flip that. I haven't used a transition like that since 1999, and it still works. Um, We need to flip this around in our lives, where we present our weakness, bring things into the light, and where we hide some of our good deeds, because that's what Jesus tells us to do very clearly in Matthew 6. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues on the streets and to be honoured by others. Strong words. And this is something, as I say, I don't find easy. And the only kind of conclusion that I've come that maybe can help is if, if you don't like doing things in secret because you don't get the approval, at least try and make it fun. And that's kind of something I've tried to do. I remember one time I was living with a housemate and our, our next door neighbours had had um, this kind of big party, big garden party, and the place was a total mess, total trash. And a housemate of mine thought, wouldn't it be fun if we just like, crept over the, climbed over the fence in the morning, cleared everything up, made it like really nice, and then come back and they'll never know about it. Actually, when you say, oh no, it doesn't sound that fun, it sounds a bit lame. But that was like one of the ways that I tried to think of like doing something in secret, but still get a little bit of a kick out of it. And we kind of tidied up the garden, looked amazing, and we thought, hopefully they'll be blessed, or at the very least, just utterly confused about how it happened. And it's like almost trying to find ways of of serving the kingdom in secrecy that's fun, that's on an adventure with God, whether that's through giving, whether that's through serving in the background. This is a mandate and a call for all of us. So these three questions that are presented to Hezekiah, is God trustworthy? Is he really worth it? And what will others think? As we've seen, there are lies from the enemy that aim to knock us off course and get us to settle. Jesus says in John 8 that lying is the devil's native language. That's, that's what he says about him. And we, this is a reality that we live in and we have to be aware. It can drain our resolve. And there's a picture that I love. Has anyone seen Lord of the Rings? It's been a while now. Yeah, lots of people. Basically, if I'm not sure about what illustration to use, I, I choose something from Lord of the Rings. That's kind of my go-to. And this particular one is in The Return of the King Towards the End. And um, Frodo and Sam have gone their kind of separate way trying to get to the the mountain, and um, Aragorn and Gandalf and the gang are basically come and they stand outside this epic wall. It looks like it's going to be a big battle, and they start to have a conversation with the representative of Sauron, who's like the main bad guy. And it's actually, it really, this is literally like a like-for-like um, scene as the one we're reading in, in the passage. And so they're kind of talking to this person, although this doesn't happen in the, others, in the, in the Bible. But um, Sa- the messenger of Sauron is just saying basically that Frodo's dead. He's just he's not, but he's trying to instill fear into the people. And he kind of shows him his his clothing and he's like, he suffered badly, he's dead. And he's just trying to like instill this fear and with a lie get them to back down and turn away. And this is just this moment where Aragorn's like not having it, and mid as this person is talking, he literally just goes and lops off his head. It's quite graphic, quite awesome. And um <laughs> Not too many kids in the room, it's all right. But that image, actually, I find so powerful because that's what we need to do. When we sense the enemy lying to us and trying to get us to back down, saying things that aren't even true, in prayer and in worship, other things, effectively chopping off their head. I'm not having that lie. I'm not going to live in that. I believe that it's not Frodo. It's Jesus is still alive. And um, and we're going to go after that. So three practical tips I just want to finish with, with what, how basically Hezekiah responds, I think, how we can respond as well. And the first one is to seek God's presence. Straight after all this happens, it says he went straight into the temple of the Lord. The temple, in other words, is God's presence, his dwelling place. 
We need to be a people of God's presence. Like any relationship, it's intimacy that builds trust. It's getting to know someone which builds that relationship. When we humble ourselves, acknowledge that we can't do it in our own strength, when we seek God's presence and all that comes with that, that's where we're going to be obedient to his ways. This is a well-known verse, but absolute cracker. Then Moses said, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. What else will distinguish me from your from your people, from all the other people on the face of the earth. It's God's presence. It's intimacy that brings life. It's in the presence of God that there's freedom and light and transformation and all that we need and all that we desire. Everything else is a byproduct, basically, is what I'm saying, from intimacy in the presence of God. He goes directly to the temple. Secondly, he listens for God's voice. This is at the time when Isaiah comes in. He asks for Isaiah, who's a well-known prophet at the time. So he listens. He wants to hear what God is saying. And just as we've already been doing this morning, it's why we make it such a priority regularly when we can, is to have these times of prophecy. Because as well as scripture, it's a way that we can hear God's voice, get direction from him. Mike uh, Pilavachi and Andy Croft in their recent book, Everyday Supernatural, describe prophecy as the gift or ability to receive and communicate supernatural revelation for a group, individual, or situation. It is knowledge that we would not have without God divinely giving to us. And Pete, as, as he's already said, it's to, to strengthen, encourage, and comfort. When God speaks, it's because he wants to act. And as a church, we're already doing this, but it's almost an encouragement to do it more and more. To, to let's be listening to God. And we're so blessed in this church to have many people with amazing prophetic gifts. And that is a real blessing to the church. But I also want to say it's for everyone. And, you know, Paul says to eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. And this is something for every follower of Christ to engage in. And I'm sure you have, you know, your own stories. We all do of when God has spoken. And one that always... Um, reminds for, for myself and Liz was at a time we were living in Cardiff and we were looking to move over to Watford I'd recently got a job and we were just trying to work out with um, Liz's job what to do um, she was finishing her medical training and hoping to get into GP and we basically found out that there wouldn't be an option to move for her role for that year and you know when you just get a bit of news that you're really just kind of expecting would happen and it doesn't and it's just totally totally gutting and we were so confused you do all those things where it's like are we should we be moving to Watford are we doing the right thing is you know what, what have I done wrong all those things and we were so gutted but basically the next morning we went to this church it was Liz's parents church one we don't normally go to and I don't know if they normally do this but this person just came up during the worship and said I've got a word here for a couple who are trying to settle and the Lord just says wait 18 months and you know you just like <laughs> okay and fast forward 18 months Liz started her GP training pretty much 18 months to that day and it's just one of those things that you can look back on and think God spoke to us in that time and actually that year was amazing in many other ways um, for what Liz was able to do that year and we knew that it was from God and we knew that it was right and it's just those little markers that you can look back and actually yeah God was speaking we have examples time and time again here in this church in the staff team Pete when he goes to share in other places he might often ask the team just to spend some time praying and prophesying for the place he's going to go and we've seen so many amazing there was one I think he shared before where Tommy Ellis just had this vague sense he just said something about Chicago something about unfinished business and Pete took it with him not really knowing what it meant and there was this guy that had gone to well he didn't even want to go to this men's retreat that Pete was speaking at his wife had booked him on and this word (laughs) Um, just spoke directly to him. He, he, he had a desperately sad family situation that was to do with Chicago that he hadn't been able to kind of shift. And it just spoke into his life. And for him, you know, on the edges of his faith, not really sure what was going on. Just imagine the, the 
the comfort that brings, the, the identity and the affirmation that that brings, God speaking. He uses the gift of prophecy. So that's why Hezekiah calls for Isaiah, because he's like, what is God saying in this situation? And maybe we should be seeking, what is God saying in this situation? Ourselves and for other people that we know have this prophetic gifting. These stories build faith and ultimately point us to Jesus, what it's all about. And so seek God's presence, listen for God's voice, but also be honest. Be honest and be real before God. It says this in chapter 19, Hezekiah received the letter from the messages and read it. Then he went to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before God. I love that imagery, basically, of just spreading it all out before God. You know, particularly in hard times, particularly in confusion. We want to just lay it all out before God. Be real with him. Whatever's happening, it's like, God, in your presence, I need to let this out, and I need you to take it. That's for us this morning. And um, Hezekiah goes on to say, he kind of describes the anguish that's in him as, the day, this is the day of distress and rebuke and disgrace, as when children come to the moment of birth and there is no strength to deliver them. Now, I'm not hugely knowledgeable about childbirth, but I'm going to go there just for a second. I've, my one and only experience will make me an expert just for this brief illustration. And um, that was for um, my wife Liz's, I've asked for permission, so it's all good. Um, and so it was, for Liz, there was like these early contractions, early signs of labor, but it kind of came and went, came and went over like two nights. So we kind of stopped her from sleeping. It was quite dragged out quite long. And um, I'm just doing that thing, you know, we're trying to encourage, but not really being able to, to identify with the pain. And then it kind of really started to build up. And Liz had read this book and she wanted to do this. Well, she found it helpful. Every time the contractions came, she basically would just go, I can do this. And she, she wanted me to do the next role, which was to count to four. So she would go, I can do this. And I would go, like, one, two, three, four. Just like not really knowing. I can do this. One, two, three, four. And then it was time, eventually, things went a bit further. It was time to go. And I remember, I remember just about to leave the house. So I just kind of said, Liz, are we, um, are we taking this chant outside of the house? So <laughs> she was like, yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> on the in the hallway she actually asked me at one point you think other people can hear I was like no I'm sure they definitely can't don't worry um anyway all that to say is it was quite a drawn out process and when it actually got to the stage of like needing to push and deliver the baby this had like really run out of energy and when I read this verse it just took me straight to that this this um this story and this picture of what was going on with Liz and we the midwives recommended like feeding her spoonfuls of effectively like honey and I had some chocolate buttons so that was my my bit um but it was almost like just trying to keep the energy levels up because they were so low ready for this last push and I actually think that's a really helpful illustration of like maybe where some of us are this year of like we actually feel like there's not that much left we're going into this new year and all these new things that are happening but in reality it's kind of like that moment where there's no strength left Matthew 5 says this you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope with less of you, there is more of God and his rule. In desperation and vulnerability, crying out to God, it's like, we need you. We need God to come through this year. Don't be afraid. And basically, um, Hezekiah is able to give this speech. And the, the main message, is, as it so often is in these stories, is do not be afraid. God is with us. God is with us. God is with us. Be strong and courageous. 
And it kind of finishes with this bit with the Lord is our God and he helps fight our battles. And this is kind of where I want to land really. It's just this idea that God fights our battles for us. And if we really get that, the, the God of the creator, sustainer of the universe, the Lord of Lords, King of Kings, he's the one that fights our battles. And as the band, if the band wanted to just come up as I, as I finish, we're going we're gonna to sing this song that lots of you will know in the last year or so. It's got quite popular. Um, and there's a few stories in this, in this area of the Bible which, which uses this language of God fighting our battles. And um, it also uses real imagery from um, Psalm 23. And I just want to kind of read these, these verses. There's a table that you've prepared for me in the presence of my enemies. It's your body and your blood you shed for me. This is how I fight my battles. In the valley, I know that you're with me. Surely your goodness and your mercy follow me. So my weapons are praise and thanksgiving. This is how I fight my battles. Even when it feels like we're surrounded, God is preparing a table for us. We can sit and we can eat with confidence. Rooted in him, knowing that he's trustworthy, knowing that he's worth it. He gives himself to us at this table. And the story ends with the Assyrian army being defeated, sent packing. God comes through for them in an amazing way. But this year, I just want us to know that God is trustworthy, that God is worth it. And we want to just, if we stand together now, when we're tempted by lies, confronted by these questions, confronted by pain, let's be like Hezekiah, let's seek God's presence. Let's listen for God's voice. And let's be real before God. Be real before God. So we're going to sing this song um, almost as a declaration of that. But if you want to just hold your hands out, if you want to just listen, if you want to take a moment for God to speak. And we will still have an opportunity to respond afterwards. And we're not going to rush. But we're just going to use this song almost as a prayer going into the new year. That it is God who fights our battles. On what? Are you basing this confidence of yours? On whom are you depending?